What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 7-Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. Today, we're talking all about Airbnbs. So it's so popular inside of our mastermind group. There are so many people doing it. They're taking their long-term rentals, turning them into Airbnbs, just buying Airbnbs. And when I say that, I mean like all short-term rentals. So wherever you market it, wherever you promote it, Airbnb is kind of like tackled the market and become a household name. So um, that's what we're talking about today. I got a guest on the show who was recommended to me from a friend. Uh, her name's Avery Carl, and it was just an amazing conversation. I think you guys are gonna get a ton out of it. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. What's up, everybody? I am really excited to be back on the show today, and I've got a guest that I don't actually know very well. So I've listened to her, some of her podcasts, uh, got to know her online, kind of looked into her a little bit before inviting her on the show, like I always do. And uh, I'm excited to kind of follow along um, with her story just right along with you guys and get to know her. So um, I was looking for this, like a, an Airbnb ho- uh, guest and somebody who's been doing this and her, her name kept coming up. So uh, people inside of our community kept saying, oh, you got to talk to Avery, you got to talk to Avery. So um, I went and listened to a bunch of podcasts, uh, kind of looked at bigger pockets and a bunch of other places that she hangs out and got to know her a little bit before reaching out to her. So um, uh, on the show today, I've got Avery Carl. She is the master of uh, Airbnbs, short-term rentals, things like that, doing some really cool stuff. So I want to introduce her to you guys. Avery, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Maybe you can just take some time since we don't have like a very detailed bio from you and just tell people kind of like what I really love to hear is like your origin story. Like why why did you go from what you were doing to this short-term rental direction or like what was it happening in your life that made you kind of want to make this uh, this leap? Sure. So like most real estate investors, I was not happy with my corporate job. Um, As a matter of fact, I almost got fired from three of them in a row. And uh, the way that I kind of fell into real estate was kind of over the course of acquiring my corporate job. So um, my husband and I, well, first, I grew up in Mississippi, uh, went to University of Texas on a soccer scholarship. Uh, While I was there, I'd always had an interest in music, but I started playing in a band when I lived in Austin. Uh, Graduated at the worst possible time in terms of getting a job in spring of 2009. There were no jobs, so I just continued on with the band thing, uh, toured the country, the world a few times in an all-girl punk band um, and bartended to supplement that. Also lived uh, in Los Angeles and then New York for a little while, still in the music slash bar business. And I met my husband when we lived in New York and um, we moved down to Nashville just for like an easier living situation in New York. And I said, well, I'll get my master's while since we're moving. And when we went to move, our agent at the time, I wasn't licensed at the time yet. And um, our agent was really trying to get us to buy in this super hip, fast appreciating part of Nashville. And we were like, "Eh, we came from Brooklyn. We're sick of neighbors. We're moving to Tennessee. We're moving out in the country. So we did buy something out in the country, but we thought, oh, well, maybe there's something to buying one of those fast appreciating properties. Maybe we'll just buy one of those and we plan to have kids one day. So maybe our future children maybe it will have appreciated so much by the time they go to college that we can pay for that with the appreciation from that house and not have to pay out of pocket. And we will be like the smartest people ever. Nobody's ever thought of doing this. We're such geniuses. 
And we didn't even know it was called real estate investing. We just did it. We were like, okay, maybe we'll be able to pay for something with this one day. Uh, luckily, we got a really good deal. Uh, that very first deal, we paid 122000 for. The mortgage on it was about 650 bucks a month, and we rented it out for about 1550 a month. So pretty good cash flow for one little single family. And at that point, we were like, oh, okay, there's some money here to be made. We actually want to build a business out of this. So then we started actually educating ourselves on what we had just spent money on. I know most people analyze the heck out of everything and get analysis paralysis before they buy something, but we did it the opposite. And uh, so then we you know, read all the books, listened to all the podcasts and actually figured out the right way to invest in stuff. And based on appreciation to one day pay for something is not the right way to do it, by the way, but we got lucky. Uh, so we had just a little bit of capital left and we were like, okay, well, what can we buy that is going to make us the most amount of cash flow the fastest so that we can then go buy more properties faster? So we landed on short-term rentals and we didn't want to do it in Nashville because Nashville has really terrible regulations are constantly changing. Nashville just doesn't really want short-term rentals. So we said, well, there's got to be some place we can go where that's not an issue, where everybody just stays in properties rather than hotels. So we landed on the Smoky Mountains, about three hours east of Nashville, because we had just vacationed there. And everybody goes to the Smokies and rents cabins. And somebody owns these cabins. Why not us? So uh, again, without... And back when we started, there were not all these guru courses. There weren't these YouTube channels teaching you how to uh, self-manage a short-term rental. But we knew we did not want to use a property management company because the property management companies in that market charge 40% of your gross. They've kind of come down a little bit out of just competitiveness now, but that was the option back then. So again, we bought something and figured out how to do it after. Just a ready, fire, aim is what I call it. And uh, it was really, really successful. Uh, that first property, the first year, grossed us about $45,000. Uh, we netted a little over half of that. And um, that we scaled that from one to five properties in the Smokies over the next 18 months. Then we had enough um, income coming in that we were able to go buy a few long-term single families and, and duplexes in Chattanooga. Uh, typically, when we were doing single family long terms will buy rehab properties that need some work and add some value we don't ever typically sell them we just hold them but um and on our second short-term rental i kind of realized i was at the point where i was hating my job kind of realized that there weren't really any agents in the space that could answer our questions about return on investment or how to self-manage where to find a cleaner just really elementary questions like that so I uh, bridged that gap, got my license, became that agent, started what would eventually become the short-term shop, my company. And now we have offices in 10 different vacation markets. And uh, we work exclusively with short-term rental investors. We helped investors acquire just over 650 million worth of cash flowing uh, short-term rental investments in 2021. And uh, if the way that we work is if people use us as their buyer's agents, then we help them acquire the property, you know, make sure they're picking a good one, make sure they're getting the right property. And then also we teach them everything they need to know about managing the property while they're still under contract. So everything from teaching them how to set up their Airbnb and VRBO listings to how to use all the property management software down to helping them source their cleaners and handymen. So by the time they close with us, they're just ready to go. And um, we can get into this a little bit later. I feel like I've already been talking a lot, but uh, I do really feel like self-managing remotely is the way to go with short-term rentals, but with long-terms property, man like 
of my hundred and something long-term doors, they're all with property managers. So I can kind of get into the difference of that if you want, but you're driving. Here yeah. Today. So what's the, what's the time frame of all this? You were um, from an all girl punk band to 650 million for other people. Like what is that timeline like? Uh, so the, from the time I bought my first rental to door number 105, five years, uh, I would say about eight years from like full on touring, not like no, not any sign of a corporate job to like actually making the full transitions, probably about eight years. Okay, cool. So we've been in the business about the same time. I think I started about nine years ago buying, actually I started buying rental properties like 2000. Six, I bought one, then 2009, and then I got, like, six years ago, I started going from, like, one house to hundreds of houses a year. We went 67 houses, and then 135, and then 187, and just kind of went from there. So we're kind of in the same timeline, it sounds like. So I know that road and, and the change in the markets. I've seen them kind of firsthand since then, from 2009 to now. Um, and then one, one thing I do want to get into is... Um, I do want to get to the point of self-management because I think that's something that's something that holds me back. To be perfectly honest, I had a um, I had a house that I flipped down in Pensacola, Florida. It was on the bay. It was right on the water. Beautiful, huge house. I uh, I sold it. I flipped it, sold it, and then I got sued a couple years later for not disclosing some stuff. They said, and in mediation, I said, "Look, I'm not going to give you the money that you're asking for, but I will buy the house back." for every single dollar that you paid for it and every dollar that you've put into it since. So I ended up buying the house back for an astronomical amount of money, like $150,000 more than what I sold it to them for, and I turned it into a short-term rental. And you're right, the, the cost, like I furnished it, I got it going, and there were some months where I was making a ton of money, but the management company, it felt like, was making all the money. Like I made decent money, but not the returns that I wanted, especially in the winter. And the management company was taking like 30%, 35%. And then the, the maintenance that they were doing, since I, I live in Nashville as well, uh, going down there, it's like I'm not going down there to work on the house to fix it. They're doing, and it, all those prices were jacked up, it seemed like. Every time they fix a toilet, it's $500, $1,000. Insane for a house flipper to pay that. I just didn't have the time to manage it. So, or I didn't think that I did. Let's put it that way. And so I think that's the bear to entry. But before we go there, I just want to ask a question. You mentioned vacation markets versus non-vacation markets like downtown Nashville. I have a lot of friends here in Nashville that do a lot of Airbnbs. I have a lot of really good uh, realtor friends that are killing it, you know, building for Airbnb, selling short-term rentals and stuff like that. So, and I've heard you say this before, but why do you, why do you love these vacation markets versus um, a city like maybe Denver or Nashville or, or even Austin or Dallas or those kind of places? Sure, sure. So I will preface this with, for a while, I was selling short-term rentals in Nashville, and I shut down the Nashville office because of just the way the regulations are. So the reason that I don't like metro markets like that is because the two main things that contribute to anti-short-term rental regulation are hotel presence and primary homeowners. So somewhere like Nashville, where there's a ton of jobs outside of tourism, and people are coming into neighborhoods that were people were you know, previously raising their kids, it was a quiet neighborhood. And then you've got a brand new, like really cool tall skinny house that people want to come have bachelorette parties. And then, you know, there's penis balloons everywhere and I'm trying to raise my kids. Like, I don't want that either. So primary homeowners that do not depend on the tourism industry is a bad thing. And then also hotel presence. So up until 10, 15 years ago, all the tourists who came to Nashville or Austin or wherever, I don't mean to pick on Nashville, I just have experience there, uh, were staying in hotels. And then all of a sudden, short-term rentals became an actual you know, viable asset class. And all these investors came in and started buying stuff, taking 
market share away from the hotels. Well, the hotels don't like that, so they're lobbying against it. So I choose um, what I call mature regional vacation rental markets, like the Smokies in, in Tennessee or Destin, Florida. So these are areas that people have been staying in short-term rentals well before Airbnb existed, well before the internet existed. So I'm sitting in Destin right now. We had vacation rentals on the beach in Destin before there was even electricity in the 20s. So these are areas that fought those battles a long, long time ago. Also, the very few uh, primary homeowners and permanent residents that live here uh, either are retired here knowing it's a vacation rental market because the entire reason they retired here is because they vacationed here or they're dependent on the tourism industry. So, you know, they their business, whether it's a restaurant or, you know, the helicopter rides or, or a fishing charter or whatever, they depend on the business of these people who are staying in the short-term rentals. So it's just a much more friendly, much more established because they fought those battles decades and decades ago. And it's just kind of the way things are. It's just woven into the fabric of the economies of these types of markets. So that's why I prefer doing my short terms in those types of markets just because you get a lot less pushback and but then you know my long terms my multis those are in metro markets so just depends on yeah I'm, I'm just going to go on record to say i agree with you 100 mm percent. i had a that seven hundred thousand dollar house it was it was in pensacola florida but not in the area of pensacola florida that's predominantly short-term rentals it was in a neighborhood in a really nice neighborhood and that neighbor next door called the cops every time somebody was in the house it didn't matter they just they hated that it was a short-term rental next door to their house and they called the cops every single time. It was such a difficult and challenging experience for me for like a couple of years. And it kind of like turned me off to that, you know? And I, some of my really good friends, like business partners, really good friends are just killing it in Airbnb right now. And because of that experience, I'm kind of like, ah, I don't know. Like, it just wasn't a good one. The, and, and we'll dive into this for sure. The, we, we just bought a 20 unit um, apartment building. It's a, it was a motel just north of Nashville. So it's just on the other side of the river, on the north side, up and coming area, uh, five minute Uber ride to downtown Nashville. And we're turning that whole thing into 20 Airbnb units. Now we will own the entire building. Like we can do whatever we want with that building. So there's, we own the HOA for the building, the, the owners associate, like nobody can tell us what we can or can't do with our building unless the city comes down on regulation saying, you, but basically we're operating a hotel and hospitality on our, on our land there. So it's, so that is the strategy that we've kind of taken of can we, can we get this economies of scale and use that platform and what you're talking about uh, and teaching to, to really help us in our cash flow because it's going to be way better than having just an apartment building there. Like the numbers didn't pencil with a standard apartment renovation that we need to do. But when you run the numbers of short-term rentals where we're just renting it out, you know, a couple nights making it nice in an area that's up and coming, all that stuff worked for us. So um, let's talk about self-management, I think. And maybe you can give the listeners, like what I want to do on, on the rest of the time that we have together is how can we remove the, the concern, the fear, the anxiety, that kind of stuff that comes with this and say, look, this is, a, this is an asset class that you've got to go look at. And uh, if you're listening to this, inside of our mastermind group, there's a massive number of people that are moving to this asset class as like the next thing for them. They know how to find properties really cheap and even they can pay a little bit more for these than they would normally if they're long-term rentals or flips. So maybe like, what do you teach like somebody that's buying with you guys? How do you, how do you help them kind of go through that? What are some tips that you can give to the listeners to let them believe that they can do it themselves? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll preface everything I'm about to say with Long-term, 100% different. Like, I do not want to manage any of my apartment buildings. I have no interest in doing background checks and showing the units and then, you know, uh, 
deposits and all that, like totally different beast. With short terms though, uh, the average, so right now, and again, no, one more preface is that uh, I'm not like saying that there's never a good time to use a property manager or that property man using a property manager is wrong. I'm just telling you why I do it the way I do and why a lot of my clients do it this way too. Uh, because the average property management split when it comes to short-term rentals is 15% of, sorry, 20% of your gross. Some do it for 15, some do it for like 35, 40, but 20%. And to give you some perspective on what that looks like for my portfolio, I have eight short-term rentals. And if I had paid a property manager that much this in 2021, I would have paid someone $200,000. So I'm sure as real estate investors, everybody can find something a lot better to do with $200,000 than pay it to a property manager, million dollar apartment building, X amount of flips in the market that you're working in, you know, whatever it is. So for me, that's not worth it. And the way technology is right now is it's really, really easy to do all of the stuff that a property manager would do from your phone. The only thing you really need is a two, your core team is two people, your cleaner and your handyman. If you're buying in a vacation rental, mar heavy vacation rental market, like the markets that the short-term shop operates in, since short-term rentals have been such an industry for so long, those two people are easy to find. There's been tons of property managers, like all the cleaners used to work for a big property management company. And now they go out on their own and, and manage for individual, I mean, and clean for individual owners. So um, all you need is your cleaner and your handyman. Uh, you need a few technological pieces so you need a uh it used to be called a channel manager now it's just called a property management software so we use your porter it's called guesty now but basically what that does it's it's a basically a dashboard so it brings all of your listings from all the different platforms that you have them on so i have eight we use airbnb and vrbo for our platforms you can use others if you want to so it brings everything to one dashboard so if i want to make an edit on one property i can do it here in this dashboard and it puts it everywhere else uh, all the calendars are synced across everything but the most important thing that the property management software does is automation and auto responses so when we first started i was having to send messages to every single guest uh, I'd have to look on my calendar every day and say, okay, it's two days before these three check-ins. I need to send them all their instructions to check in. I need to send them their door codes. I need to send them this. And if you forgot to do that, then they're, they're mad. They're like, Hey, we're checking in today. We don't know anything about the property or where it is. So it automates all that for you. You just set it up. Like we have ours automated to send out a message the day before check-in with all the directions, check-in instructions, Wi-Fi passwords, all that. It automatically sends them halfway through their stay a little like, hey, just checking in, making sure everything's cool message. And then it automatically sends them a message the day before checkout with all their checkout instructions. The other really important thing that it does is it syncs with calendars. So it syncs with your cleaner's calendar. So when I first started at the beginning of the month, I had to go through all my calendars and write out an email to my cleaner that says, you have to go to this place this day. You have to go to this place this day. And the more properties you get, the more tedious that process is. So these will automatically sync with any type of calendar that your cleaner is using. So when somebody books, it automatically puts it on their calendar so you don't have to mess with it. So that streamline piece is really, really important. And then the other thing that you need is a pricing manager. We use Price Labs and Price Labs is it's constantly evaluating. So its algorithm is constantly looking at historical and current pricing data, events that are happening in the market, time of year, and pricing you at the highest possible price to get booked. So when we went from 
manual pricing, just going through our calendars and pricing it to using that pricing manager, our income went up 20%. So I know that kind of sounds like a lot, but basically you just need those two apps, a good cleaner and a good handyman, and you can build everything else out from there. Wow, that's incredible. What, how about, like, what happens when somebody has a problem in there? Are they calling you or texting you, or, like, who takes care of that when you manage it yourself? So we, this is kind of a point that I like to make with a lot of people because they're like, well, we don't want to answer the phone at, at midnight. Well, we don't either. Uh, we put in all of our um, outgoing communication with clients that, like, hey, we have jobs. We don't have day jobs, but we put it in there. You know, we have jobs and families. We are not only available between 8 and 6 p.m., and if you need anything, we will respond next business day. We have not had any any issues with that. The, the worst thing that's ever happened was somebody, uh, the HVAC went out in July at like midnight. They went, we weren't, even if they, even if we'd answered the phone at midnight, we would not have been able to get a, an HVAC technician out there at midnight. So they went and stayed somewhere else for one night. We refunded that night, got our HVAC person out there. So um, it's, you can drive you can drive the bus you can set the rules a lot of people let their guests manage them instead of them managing their property and you don't have to do that as long as you're setting the expectation up front we don't answer the phone after eight or you know whatever time you set there so as long as you're setting the proper expectations you're not going to be having to do those midnight calls but it is you if someone calls you and says hey the toilet's broken you do have to make the call and say hey handyman, the toilet's broken, can you go over there? So um, I'm okay with doing that little bit of extra work because they just make so much more money, but it is something that you are going to have to, it's, it's not hard work, but it is managing your systems. Yeah, I love that answer. Like you've got to train your people. Like if you build a SOP or operating system, like a, a we, we teach so many systems and processes here at, at Seven Figure Flipping. It's like just create a a booklet that when they check in, this is the expectations of you. Like you train them when they show up, not vice Definitely. versa, like you said. And in for saving two hundred thousand dollars, all I hear is, man, for like for sixty thousand dollars, I could hire like the best rock star manager of my my system that I build out to handle all that. They could get the text messages and the calls, or fifty grand, or forty grand, or I mean, that's like twenty dollars an hour. Forty one thousand dollars a year is like twenty bucks an hour full time, forty hours a week. So I mean, you can find a pretty good person at twenty dollars an hour. And you can probably find a VA for $6 an hour, $8 an hour, even locally for, for around there, for all the things that we do. So it's all about, I think, it's some of the sounds of it, it's kind of like manage your system, build your system, and set the expectations up front. And then, like you said, take care of the people that when they have a problem, you take care of them. If Hopefully they can problem solve. If it's unbearable there, it's not your problem. It's not your fault. Um, they go stay down the road and, and figure it out and you pay for it. I think that's fantastic. So yeah. and all right, that is something that we teach our clients, like as they're scaling to add a VA in. So we do have a VA, um, we use, I mean, I'll just plug them. We use my outdesk, uh, because they're, they're, um, VAs, they're in the Philippines, but their VAs are real estate specific. So we have four that work for us in lots of different capacities, like on my real estate sales side, on our mortgage business side. But, uh, we have one who handles all of our short-term rentals and like a lot of other stuff. He handles like all of our rentals period and keeping up with um, our tracking expenses and everything. So our eight short-term rentals are really only like a quarter of his work. So um, that is definitely, if you're looking to scale and have like a lot of short-term rentals. So some people want to have like 20 short-term rentals. Some people want to stop at 10, uh, but adding a VA, especially an offshore VA is 
the best way to do that. So you learn how to manage it yourself so you know what you're doing and then you train them and then they can kind of take that off your hands. Yeah, I like it. I'll, I'll say for me, the reason why I didn't want to get involved, I didn't want to deal with it, I, I, I just had so many other things going on, right? We have lots of irons in the fire that are making us a lot more money. So be, like figuring out what your value of your time is worth and if you to pay a property manager and not pay a property manager. For me, I was at one, I didn't have a lot of time and I think that hurt me. Like it really did kind of uh, injure me almost. We just bought 13 acres behind our house. It has a three bedroom, two bath house on it. And I'm trying to figure out when the owner, I had the owner is going to live back there for a year. So we're coming up on his year now. And what we do with that house, I'm definitely going to furnish it. I'm likely just going to open it up for friends and family and to any, anybody that wants to come over, hang out on the farm, see the horses, the chickens, the, the market, our farmer's market, stuff like that. Um, but I, I definitely always consider like, is like I really want to buy some short-term rentals locally to help bring in some more kind of passive income. But my my concern is I don't really want to manage it. But I like I don't know. I'm like I'm like 75% of the way there just listening to these couple things for you because I love these systems. How much does this stuff cost? Like Guesty and Price Labs and these kind of things that you're talking about. Should they expect to pay like a ton of money if they have just like one? And there's probably some point where you have to scale up on this stuff. Less than 100 bucks a month. It depends on how many properties you have, but it, it doesn't get, I mean, it's not like you're paying $10,000 a year for this stuff. Yeah, that, I mean, that's amazing. So if you guys are kind of shy on this, I, I don't see any reason why you can't self-manage. I, I was down in Key West with a friend of mine, Jeremiah. He's got a ton of short-term rentals, and he's converting a lot of his like single-family houses, long-term rentals over to short-term now. And he just pulled up this app, and he's got like 25 houses on there. And he just showed me, he's like, I can unlock the door, I can turn on the lights, I can change the air conditioning, I can do all this stuff right here in five seconds. And then we would go offshore for the whole day, and he didn't deal with it at all, came back, no problems, and he showed me how much money he was making, and I was shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, man, I'm, I need to get in the game. But everything is a shiny object to me, and I just want to do it all. So I don't know, you're doing a lot. So how do you manage all this stuff and the different teams and the different things that you're doing? You mentioned apartment buildings, you mentioned your 10 different offices for... Um, retail agents, you mentioned your short-term rentals. I'm sure you're doing other stuff. So how do you do that? So I am very lucky and people ask me this all the time and I do not have an answer for it. Uh, I'm very lucky in that my husband and I have always been on the same page with the real estate thing. And I know a lot of people it's, you know, one spouse has got the idea and having to convince the other spouse. People ask me for advice on that all the time and I do not have it. We were just somehow magically always on the same page. And, um, so I run the uh, all the real estate offices and my husband runs all of the back end, like all of our portfolio and the management of our short term. So he also partners with me on the short term shop side and he's the one who teaches all of our clients how to do everything. How He runs the education side uh, on our portfolio side. Uh, he and one of our VAs completely runs the, you know, sourcing the deals, whether it's um, I'll typically source the short term since I'm like living in that world every day and stuff comes across my desk that he probably wouldn't see. But in terms of like buying our multis and our single families, uh, they're all handling that. I've typically, I've been the one to say, hey, I think this is a great market, here's why. And then he goes and like bird dogs it and finds the properties. Um, but that's just kind of like, we've just kind of very easily fallen into, uh, okay, this is my role, this is your role. So uh, I have a really good, partner in my husband, business partner, and then father and husband. But um, he, he handles most of our portfolio while I'm running the, the short-term shop and the mortgage shop. 
So you use the word convince, and I always try to say, how do you persuade um, versus convince? The, my, my spouse, my wife, has no interest in real estate at all. Uh, the speaking business that I'm in, the podcast, like anything that I do, she has like no interest in any of the real estate stuff. So I know like both sides of that. I'm interested to hear from you. I get that question a lot too, by the way. And usually I work with the people who have, they're trying to bring their spouse in to it. And I, what I tell them is just like, stop trying. Like, just accept the fact that they do their thing, you do your thing. What you need to do is you need to get them to believe in you and, all, and, and, and give you the trust that you need to go out and do the thing that you believe that you can do. So you really have to like cast your vision. This is where I'm going. This is the plan. And they have to believe it because you, you have to be the leader for the family and the direction that you're going. And then hopefully they can jump onto that vision and say, you know what? I think that you can do it. I still remember when I, I said to my wife, like, I want to join this this mastermind group pay $25,000. And she was like, I thought she would say, no way. Even though I dealt with the finances and everything, she basically looked at me and said, do you think you can do it? Do you think it'll help you? And I said, yes. She goes, I, then I believe in you. You can do it. And so that was it. Like that's, that's really all I needed was that. And it just every now and then I'll get that. And I, I'll just go do my thing, you know? So how did you guys divvy up those responsibilities? Was it just obvious when you guys started this? Or did you sit down and like have a meeting and say, this is what you're good at, this is what I'm good at. Let's, let's kind of divvy up and like map out the roles and responsibilities or just kind of fall in place for you guys? It kind of fell into place. And the, the reason it kind of fell into place was because when I was a single real estate agent and, not, and I didn't have the, the whole team, I, as I started getting busier and busier, then I kind of wasn't able to work on our, like at first we were managing our short-term rentals together. And then I just was not able to do that because I was getting pulled in so many different directions with the real estate business. So he took over that 100% and then started automating it because it took me out of the equation. And then we realized later that it's kind of probably not a good idea to try and co-manage anyway, just because you, you never truly know what's going on or what someone else has already discussed with somebody. And for us, our situation is, so I'm super Southern and like was raised to, you light yourself on fire to keep someone else warm. Like you do not inconvenience people and you over apologize like a hundred times. Whereas my husband's a New Yorker and he like, you know, is slamming people's faces into their, uh, the hoods of their cars. So I'm, you know, where in the same situation, something that I would have been like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Yes, let me work on this for you. Luke will be like, no, that is what it is. You can go stay somewhere else if you don't like it. And then I, that would make us get into arguments because I'm like, oh my God, why would you say that to the guests? They're going to leave us a bad review. So it's just better to let one person handle it and not have two different personalities in the mix. Uh, but we just kind of fell into it that way. Like I started handling the sales and I started enjoying not knowing what he was saying to the guests, which he has over 5,000 five-star reviews. So maybe his way is better, but it just like hurt my brain. So we just kind of things we, we divided up based on what was less painful to the other one's brain. So. Cool. I think you guys are lucky. Uh, and it, you can see this, like, two different personalities really do attract. And I think the same thing with my wife and myself. Like, she's not interested. I'm very interested. She's, she thinks, like, in the present. I think in the future. And we kind of balance each other out in that aspect. And that's what I see a lot in successful marriages, successful business partners, those kind of things. Um, like one plus one has to equal more than two usually. Um, how do you run the numbers on these things? Like when you, when you look at a deal and, and how do you kind of teach uh, some of your agents and stuff like that to kind of look at it? Um, just maybe you can take me through, I realize that's a much deeper question for us to dive deep into, but what does it look like? Is there like some cash flow number that people are looking for? Is it a, do you care about the price of the property? Like how do you run that? Okay. Yeah. So kind of a conversation, but because it's with short term, the numbers are 
a little fuzzier than if you're looking at an apartment building. Like an apartment building, the rent is what it is every month until you get in there and update it and that's it. Uh, with short term, there's seasonality, there's, you know, the price is different based on what day of the week it is or what time of the year it is or if there's a, an event happening in town. So you have to be okay with not being able to get it down to like the nth percentage. Uh, but the way that I teach people to analyze, so back to the property manager thing, and not all property managers do this, but a lot of the really big property management companies that are uh, in a lot of the big vacation rental markets, they practice something called rent shifting. So, and I'll explain what that is in a second, but I tell people not to go only off the rental income numbers because it's more dependent, the success of a property is more dependent on how you manage it than the property itself. So rent shifting is when a property management company, so say our split is 75-25 of the gross. I'm the property manager, I'm taking 75%. What a lot of them do is they will get the property super booked at a really low price of, and they're you know taking their 25%, splitting that 75% with you, but the rent shift comes when, so it's a super low price, but you know maybe they're booking for, 100 bucks a night when they could be getting 200 bucks a night and they're booking for 100 and then they're taking a $200 processing fee that they don't split with you. So they're booking the property at super low numbers so the gross income is not going to look that good only splitting the price per night with you and then charging a bunch of fees on top that they're keeping. So that's what rent shifting is. So when you're looking at the the gross annual income of a property and it's really low because it's been on a huge property manager, if you're managing that yourself or even get it with a property manager who isn't using that practice, it's gonna do a lot better. So what I tell people to do is look at as many data sources as possible for market-wide data. Don't just go on the rental history. So there are a few places you can get that. Uh, AirDNA is one, so it specializes in measuring the performance of short-term rentals on Airbnb and VRBO. Uh, their data is pretty good, no data is perfect. Uh, there's another one called Rabu, R-A-B-B-U, kind of the same thing. You're looking at market-wide. And I always tell people, look at market-wide data. Don't look at what one property has done because you want to see what everybody that has the same size property has been able to do. So uh, use those data sources like AirDNA, Rabu, uh, Price Labs, which is your pricing manager that you'll need after you buy the property, has a cool little function called the market dashboards. It only shows 30 days, but it's good data too. And then in conjunction with all that, since data can't show you why it says what it says. There are intangibles that data and computers cannot calculate, like pools, uh, you know, does it have, is it the property really crazy or is it kind of a dump? Uh, we use what we call at the short-term shop the enemy method. So the enemy method is where you zoom in on the neighborhood that you plan to buy on Airbnb or VRBO and look at your enemies or your neighbors, but neighbor method isn't fun to say, enemy method is. So what you're looking for is, so if you're buying a four bedroom, you're looking in your neighborhood to see why the data says what it says. Basically, you're looking for outliers in the data. So if your next door neighbor is also a four bedroom, but the pictures are really blurry, there's like somebody's finger in the pictures and they don't respond to messages at all, they're gonna be way, way back in the search results. So they're basically never gonna get booked. So they're dragging the data down. Conversely, if there's a four bedroom next door to you that comes with a private jet, private chef, private whatever, they're obviously going to be getting a lot higher price per night than what you're probably going to be able to get. So they're dragging the data up. So you want to look at all the data, but then zoom in. And basically you're looking at comps, the enemy method. So um, as many data points as possible, what I want you to take away is as many data points as possible and use the enemy method. Don't just go off of um, rental history because you can miss what could be a really, really good deal if you just go 
off of rental history. Like our second property that we ever bought, uh, we could not afford to get uh, professional photos because we were like scraped by that hard to get that down payment. So that property, we had my iPhone 6 photos, which are crappy. We had that property could not get internet at the time, not even satellite internet because the way it was situated on the mountain. So we could not offer internet. The previous property manager had done 23000 a year with it, and then us coming in with no experience yet, bad pictures, and not being able to offer internet did 45000 the first year, and that property did 80000 this past year. Wow. You know, my takeaway was the same thing that I do when I look for a new market to go in and start wholesaling or flipping in is when I went into Chattanooga, I moved, we moved to Nashville from Pensacola. Nashville was, I was kind of priced out of Nashville just as far as my war chest of what I wanted to do and the volume that I wanted to replicate my million dollar business in Pensacola in another city. And Nashville I knew was going to be really expensive. So I was competing with a lot of uh, people that had more money than me. So I looked at Chattanooga. It was an hour and a half away. And I could, what I could do is I could meet with the people and start driving buyers from Nashville to Chattanooga. And this was a time like six years ago where a lot of Nashville people, all I heard over and over at all these meetups, all these RIAs that I was going to, it's too expensive. I can't buy here. And so what I did was I went over to Chattanooga one time and I went to a meetup group there. It was at a Chinese buffet. There were like seven other investors there. I, I called every, I submitted my name and email on every single wholesaler's email list. I would, I didn't get a response. Nobody reached back out to me. I would call on like we buy houses. They weren't answering their phones. I was like, wow, like these are, this is an area that is just prime for somebody who's a professional to come in and and answer their phones, pick up live, uh, build their buyers list, like really produ produce as a ton of properties. And we killed it in that market um, until a lot of people started catching on. The competition kind of moved over in that direction. And then uh, the prices started rising over there. So um, I love this enemy method, this like hack your competition, try to figure out what they're doing. Like, I bet you guys are like submitting inquiries and stuff like that. How fast do they respond? Like, I can see exactly how I would position all of that too in the short-term rental space. Um, what about expenses? I'm also one of those Nashvillians that caught on to Chattanooga. I've got a, we've got like 25 units there, but then it just got like, couldn't find deals anymore. Ah, I should have got you on my buyers list like years ago. So, um, what about, um, what about expenses? Like what, what is a typical expense? Is there a ratio? Is there a number? Is there something that you teach for expenses? Yes. So this is, do not use this as a hard and fast rule of thumb. This is a very loose rule of thumb that I've seen based on my experience, which is extensive with all my clients and everything. So um, you can expect to net after your mortgage, after everything, between 35 and 50% of your gross. Obviously, if you are more leveraged, it'll be towards the lower end, less leveraged towards the higher end. Uh, obviously, if if you've paid cash, it's going to be more than that. But I say like I say like a forty percent ish number if you're doing just you know a regular old twenty. Not a lot of people do ten percent, but forty ish percent between thirty five and fifty, which is a wide range, but it's short term and it depends on how you manage it. Is kind of what you can expect. So I see some people's spreadsheets where they will send me what they've analyzed and they have it at traditional like conventional twenty percent down, and they have themselves netting like seventy. 80% of the gross, and that's just not going to happen. You're looking at more like 40, 50. Okay, cool. So what I'm trying to get across from Avery right now for everybody listening is um, 
you can self-manage these things. It's not a huge barrier to entry. Um, you can probably pay more for a short-term rental than you could for a long-term buy and hold, renting out monthly, um, and more than a flip. And so you can, if you can analyze some of these, now we're starting to send our deals out as a wholesale deal down in Pensacola, here in Nashville, over in Chattanooga as more of a short-term rental type uh, approach potentially and targeting those buyers because I know they can pay more. Um, like some of the stuff we're doing in Kentucky where we're owner financing the houses, we can pay even more than most people even in other areas. So just trying to find like there's money to be made in any market. So where, where, is it, where are you going? What's next for you? And hopefully remove the veil of uh, uncertainty and this is not going to work for me. It worked for so-and-so. Just like there's a couple apps here. There's some data sources like Airbnb and Rabu. Um, how you manage it. Um, hacking your competition, the enemy method, like all of this stuff is, is really, really cool. And I don't, think, um, I don't think it should be that big of a step for most of you that are already buying houses off market. You're, now you can start looking on the MLS. You can start talking to Avery and her team and, uh, and get them to, to help you source properties. Like it's all about just running numbers, making offers, and you can do a lot more deals. So I hope you guys can see that even running the numbers isn't isn't overly challenging or difficult. Go find out how much this thing's going to rent for, what you're approximately going to pull in, do some back-of-the-envelope math, and then dive deeper on the next step, just like you do for a flip, like everything that we teach you. Uh, Avery, you said your you're, pre-show, you said you were like flipping some houses or doing something in Alabama. Where is that? And tell us about that. So it's in Alabama. I'm not going to say on a podcast with a bunch of real estate investors where my market is because I like it and I would like to keep buying there. But uh, so we kind of have, as far as our investments are concerned, I call them three machines. We have three little machines, big machines rolling all the time. One is our short-term rental machine. Like we bought two this year. We typically buy those pretty turnkey. Well, no, we've had three that were pretty big rehab projects, but five of the eight were pretty turnkey. Uh, and then we buy multifamily and a town in the Midwest. And then we buy, uh, we buy and hold at, in this town in Alabama, but we get it, you know, under market, fix it up. And it's typically not, you know, these aren't big gut rehabs. These are kind of lipstick rehabs. Maybe it needs a roof and, uh, and hold those. So we've got our long-term single family, our multifamily and our short-term machine kind of rolling all the time. Cool. I love that. And it sounds like you guys have a strategy and a path and where you're going and a vision for it. I really like that. So I, hey, I had a great time talking with you. Um, how can people find out more about you? Yeah. So you can find us at the shorttermshop.com. There's a link right on the front page, right in the middle that says schedule a consultation. And then if you're interested in financing, we also have uh, the mortgage shop. Unfortunately, we did not get to the mortgageshop.com first. So it is mortgageshop.co, www.mortgageshop, not the. Uh, and that's pretty, that's probably the easiest way to find us or uh, buy my book that came out on Bigger Pockets Publishing last year, Short Term Rental, Long Term Wealth. We also have a public Facebook group by the same name uh, that where there's a lot of short term rental investors in there sharing information. So join us in there. All right, everybody, I encourage you to reach out to Avery and her team. I know you guys are kind of on the fence. Let them hold, their, hold your hand, kind of walk you through the process, uh, especially if it's your first one or your next uh, short-term rental. I would love to see you guys do some deals with her. She's amazing. Uh, I'd love to learn more about the all-girl punk band, the soccer career, stuff like that, but maybe we'll just have to bring her on for another show, and I bet you guys would love that. So um, thank you so much for being here. I, um, I love it. All this advice, giving away, like, um, uh, softwares and, and strategy and stuff like that. I love it. Like kind of like opening the door to your business. And I know that'll, that'll drive more people towards you. So thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. All right. We'll see you guys on the next show. Bye.